Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Good morning and a warm welcome to Money Talk for the final time this week. It's Friday the 13th of October. This is Peter Lewis with the latest business and finance headlines from across the Asia-Pacific region and we have market updates and expert analysis from our panel of guests. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. And thank you for making us one of the most listened to financial podcasts in Hong Kong. In today's business and finance headlines, U.S. inflation was higher than forecast in September. The U.S. Consumer Price Index rose 0.4%, decelerating from 0.6%, thanks in part to lower pressure from energy prices. But it was higher than economists forecast for a 0.3% increase. It also rose 3.7% year over year. That's the same as the previous month, but exceeding a 3.6% forecast. Core CPI, which strips out volatile food and energy prices, was in line with expectations, remaining steady at 0.3% month on month, and it rose 4.1% on a 12-month basis. India's inflation rate slowed more than expected last month. India's retail price inflation dropped to 5% year-on-year in September, down from 6.8% in the previous month, and well below economists' forecasts of 5.5%. This rate fell within the central bank's 2-6% target range for the first time in three months, primarily due to a significant slowdown in food inflation. The EU's chief diplomat, Joseph Borrell, has arrived in Beijing for a three-day visit. He'll meet Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi. Talks are expected to focus on Chinese subsidies the EU says disadvantage European companies. The attack on Israel by Hamas is also likely to feature heavily in the talks, as well as the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Chinese stocks surged yesterday after news that China's sovereign wealth fund increased its stake in the nation's biggest banks for the first time since 2015. Stoking speculation, authorities will intensify efforts to prop up the sinking stock market. State-owned Central Hugin Investment bought the equivalent of about 65 million US dollars of shares in Bank of China, Agricultural Bank of China, China Construction Bank and Industrial and Commercial Bank of China. And it will continue to add to its stakes in the next six months, according to exchange filings. On today's programme, I'm joined by Francis Lun, the CEO of GEO Securities, and Lashar, who's Asia Chief Economist at BBVA, and with a view from Australia, is Toby Lawson, CEO of Staten Partners. If you want to get in touch, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. U.S. stocks and bond prices fell on Tuesday after disappointing inflation data and a weak government debt auction. Stocks were resilient after the initial inflation report, but were dragged lower in the afternoon as the sell-off in bonds gathered pace. The three major indices ended a four-day winning streak. The S&P 500 declined by 0.6%, ending at 4,350. The Dow was lower by 174 points, that's half a percent, to close at 33,631. The Nasdaq Composite lost 0.6%, closing at 13,574. Treasury yields rose after the CPI data were released, though they remain below the 16-year peaks hit after last week's jobs data. But the bond market sell-off gathered pace during afternoon trading after an auction of new government debt was met with weak investor demand. The two-year yield was up six basis points to 5.07%. The yield on the benchmark 10-year notes jumped 10 basis points to 4.7%, and the 30-year bond yield rose 12 basis points to 4.86% following the weak auction. 
Oil prices were higher Thursday following a fall of over 2% on Wednesday as markets continue to assess the fallouts from the Israel-Hamas war. International Brent crude futures were up 0.2% to $86 a barrel. The US dollar index surged 0.7% as traders digested the fresh CPI data. The euro, pound and yen also losses. The US dollar Japanese yen rate hit a high of 149.86, edging closer to that important 150 yen level. The offshore yuan held around 7.31 renminbi per dollar. The currency remains supported by a series of stronger than expected official midpoint rates from the PBOC. In Hong Kong, stocks recorded their sixth straight day of gains. The Hang Seng Index climbed 345 points, or 1.9%, to a five-week high of 18,238, and it brings the gains for the benchmark index over the past six days to over 6%. The tech index leapt 1.7% higher, and on the mainland, the Shanghai Composite climbed 0.9% to 3,108. It does look like, though, that six-day run is going to come to an end at the open this morning. Futures markets are pointing to a decline of almost 310 points for the Hang Seng at the open. That's about 1.7%. You can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter, which you'll find at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter I do like Fridays and I like our Friday guests. Always very happy here in the studio. Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities. Welcome, Francis. Uh, good morning. And also with us, Lashar, Asia Chief Economist from BBVA. Good morning, Shark. Uh, good morning, Peter. Um, Chinese stocks surged yesterday, as you yeah. heard there, after China's sovereign wealth fund increased its stake in the nation's biggest banks for the first time since 2015. And that's stoked speculation that authorities are going to intensify efforts to prop up the sagging stock market. State-owned Central Huge in Investment. They bought the equivalent of about $65 million worth of shares in Bank of China, Agricultural Bank of China, China Construction Bank, and Industrial and Commercial Bank of China, according to filings Wednesday. Huge is a unit of the $1.4 trillion China Investment Core which already uh, is the bank's major shareholder, and they're going to continue to add to the stakes in, to, in the next six months, according to the exchange filings. Yesterday, Bank of China rose 4% in Hong Kong. ICBC added 4.8%. Agricultural Bank of China jumped 4.5%. China Construction Bank surged 5.6%. Francis, what's yeah. the significance of this? Well, it, it means that even the government believed that uh, the, the uh, sell of the stock market has been overdone, uh, especially the bank stock, they are really oversold. You have P-E ratio of under 5 and then yields of 8 to 9 percent. That's really, really too cheap. And uh, so uh, uh, they, uh, the notice said that they they will continue to buy as long as the share price is low because they are uh, because they believe the share price is uh, uh, reaching a uh, periodic low uh, uh, according to what they said and and i think uh, based on the parameters of pe and yield etc i think i think uh, chinese banks are really over so and it's time for a rebound they haven't done this since, what, 2015, have yeah, they, they quite, stepped in like quite, this? Yeah, quite a long time. So they only step into the market when they, when they believe uh, they, they need to prop up the market. 
Shark, what, does this have sort of knock-on effects to confidence overall? I'm, I'm thinking maybe what could be the wider implications for the economy and consumer uh, demand. If, if I suppose if you see the central authorities stepping in like this into the market, it, it helps confidence in the market. And does that then spread more to other things like general consumer co- confidence in the economy? I think that they can definitely they can boost the, the investors' confidence because, uh, as uh, Francis said, uh, it sends a signal to the market that now this kind of the sell-off in the stock market is already overshoot, right? Mm. Uh, but uh, uh, at this moment, I don't think uh, this kind of behavior can give a real boost to uh, this consumer or even the enterprise's confidence. Because uh, anyway, you need to focus on your uh, micro outlook. Mm. In fact, we have seen some good signals in the uh, real uh, activity indicators. Uh, it seems the Chinese uh, uh, real economy now start to stabilize at a relatively lower level. <laughs> but anyway, they start mm. to stabilize. That's a very good uh, good thing. But the problem is, uh, I, I personally, I believe the, the, the biggest the challenge for the short term to Chinese economy is still the property market. Okay? Right. We have seen a lot of bad news recently, yeah. uh, these uh, country guard things, uh, these uh, yeah. uh, evergreen things. So uh, if this uh, kind of a property market problem continue, uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, in particular for household, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, these uh, property account a big share of their wealth, mm. of their family wealth. Mm-hmm. Uh, many people, their works, Maybe related to uh, this uh, this uh, property sector, so I, I think uh, that means that the overall confidence still remain uh, remain weak. Yeah. Do you think then that maybe it's signalling that the authorities in Beijing are concerned that the woes in the property sector or the troubles there are spreading to the financial sector? Is that one of the reasons why it's focusing on the banks? Yeah, that definitely. Well, according to some reports. Uh, 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 the bank's uh, perf- uh, loan portfolio, 40% of it consists of uh, property loans. <laughs> and that's quite a high percentage. Mm. And if the, if the property uh, market slump continues, then the bad, the, the, uh, the bad debt, the bad loans will just increase. And of course, uh, and, and you, you have to count uh, uh, Evergreen and Country Garden is going to go bankrupt pretty mm-hmm. soon because there's no way uh, the government can help it with uh, well three trillion yuan to to build them out. It, the, the amount is really too astronomical. I think they will just let them fall flat. So the timing is significant then, isn't yeah. it? Because we're coming up to some important deadlines for both Evergrande and um, Country Garden. Evergrande's got a court hearing in Hong Kong mm. at the end of the month. Country Garden has defaulted on some payments and has said already it's not going to be able to meet its obligations. So presumably mm-hmm. Beijing is fully aware of that. It also tends to suggest that they're not going to step in and save them. Yes, I think. Uh, uh, but the problem is... Uh, uh, of course, uh, this kind of the buying into the market can help to stabilize people's confidence in financial sector. But I would like to argue the impact is not that direct because they buy through the secondary market, mm. not directly inject the capitals uh, to uh, to these big banks. Uh, mm. So all this buying, they mm-hmm. shouldn't uh, change the balance sheet 
of uh, uh, big big banks. So mm -hmm. they didn't have more capital, okay? Mm -hmm. the, the NPL is still there, okay? But yeah. in future, uh, of course, this uh, Hui Jin, they, they, they enhance their shareholdings of these big banks. In mm -hmm. future, if they do the other interventions into the bank, maybe it's much easier. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, I, I think you are right. This one signal that the, the government, they show the market as some, uh, some circumstance we will intervene into yeah. the market mm -hmm. and yeah. we want to show we think all these banks they're still good okay mm -hmm. yeah. so don't worry about this one yeah. so it's a signaling issue as well, yeah. I mean, more than yeah. anything isn't it to yeah. try and show confidence yeah. in the, we've, in the we've market we've been waiting for a, a positive uh, uh, act from the government they, they have been saying all these many point plans but no concrete action this is the concrete act, first concrete action we see, so uh, so the market jump on the news. So, what do you think the longer term impact is going to be on the market? So, obviously, yesterday we saw a bounce. We saw all those four <laughs> banks up around four percent. The Hang Seng is up now for the sixth day in a row. It's rebounded about six percent in the last six days. But what is the longer term impact? Because when you look at it, they're not buying a lot of stock, are they? It's only sixty-five million dollars. It's not a huge amount. So, what's the the long term impact going to be on the markets of this? I I think this can signal the the uh, the start of a, a, a recovery from the recent low seventeen thousand something. I think uh, uh, the market is ready to rebound, maybe to the first to the uh, nineteen thousand, maybe twenty thousand level. I think we have reached a recent uh, this year's low. Um, and and then the market is uh, is uh, wiped for a rebound because uh, it's been oversold. Uh, even the government believes so. Right. Okay. Now there's more. In addition, the China Securities Regulatory Commission ordered Chinese brokerages and their offshore subsidiaries to close all new account opening channels for domestic investors seeking to invest in <laughs> offshore markets. Opening overseas fund accounts for domestic investors is prohibited, the CSRC said in the note. It added that brokers must stop marketing such services to investors both at home and abroad. Now, why is it doing that, Francis? <laughs> well, uh, they, they, they aim specifically at uh, <coughs> two of the biggest, uh, Futu and uh, I, uh, Tiger, <coughs> because they, they, they are the biggest uh, 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 operators uh, in the buying U.S. Uh, stocks mm. on behalf of Chinese uh, investors. And, and, and the government believes they are getting around the... Uh, uh, strict currency currency controls, which which uh, uh, will uh, all resulted in a a, a a a withdrawal of money uh, for the exchange from China. So mm. they they want to crack down on it and they stop their uh, their buying. Mm. It's, it's interesting, isn't it, Shark? They must also be um, concerned then about the yuan and about the, uh, the, the weak yuan that we've seen this year. Yes, uh, if you combine these uh, two pieces of uh, news uh, together, we will see that the first one, they want to strengthen their uh, bank system. Mm -hmm. uh, then the second one, they want to severe these capital outflows. Right. Mm -hmm. so, so again, a very strong signaling message there yes. as well mm -hmm. about their views on the yuan. It's gone, yeah, it the shows the awareness of mm -hmm. this uh, rising financial risks.
to their financial sectors. Is there a lot of buying of, of overseas stocks for, by Chinese investors? I thought that well, it wasn't particularly huge. I know these two accounts that you mentioned, they have online accounts, don't they? So yeah, that's how uh, they do it. Well, well uh, according to some, some reports, Futu actually is, is one of the biggest uh, brokers in terms of uh, turnover mm. on the New York Stock Exchange. <laughs> so, mm. so the amount must be quite so enormous. So it must be big then. Yeah, it must be big. I think that maybe uh, they they have done this uh, several times, right? So mm. we we heard this uh, kind of the news, uh, mm. but maybe they see some signals uh, this kind of uh, uh, capital mm. outflow to mm -hmm. start to uh, accelerate again. So mm. they mm -hmm. have this uh, new uh, restrictions. Uh, this the, this one just repeat the existing. I like mm -hmm. to say the repeated existing restrictions on mm. this kind of capital control. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think maybe, as I said, they just try to show their awareness of these financial risks. Yeah. Now there's more <laughs> in terms of signaling from Beijing. Apparently China's considering raising its budget deficit for this year as the government prepares to unleash a new <laughs> round of stimulus yeah. to help the economy meet the official growth target. Policymakers are weighing the issuance of at least one trillion yuan. That's about 137 billion US dollars of additional sovereign debt for spending on infrastructure. Uh, that's being reported by Bloomberg, who are citing unnamed sources there, but it could raise this year's budget deficit to well above the 3% cap, which was set uh, in mm. March. Um, so, uh, Shark, what do you make of this? Is, is it a good idea, first of all? Uh, at last, they decide to do it, right? Right. Okay, yeah. Uh, I think the, uh, according to this uh, report, uh, it's just one trillion. It's not that big. That could increase uh, uh, this uh, uh, budget deficit by maybe 0.7 to 0.8%. Mm. Now, still less than 1% of the GDP. Uh, but that now, because we already come into the fourth quarter, we don't know they are going to do this year or do that one next year. Mm. right? Because, mm. uh, um, but uh, I'm a little bit disappointed because uh, many people now discussing about they need to directly subsidize the household. Right. Right. Mm, but rather yeah. than focus on infrastructure, mm, according mm, to this news, that it seems which is, they still want to focus on this yeah, infrastructure. Yeah. And it tends uh, to be wasteful, doesn't it? Yeah, it goes into unproductive yeah, parts but, of but the economy. A, one explanation is that in the past, they quite depend on this local government to, to do these infrastructure things mm -hmm. to stimulate mm. the economy. But this time different, because uh, if we look at uh, this uh, local government, I, I'm afraid that maybe 80% of the provincial government, they are they already have problem over that. <laughs> I think okay. 100%, not 80%. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now they are trying to use their yeah. limited financial resource to pay back their, yeah. their debt rather than do this uh, infrastructure investment. Mm. That's why maybe this time the central government said, okay, if you cannot do that one, we think this is necessary, let me do that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so maybe that's the explanation. Mm -hmm. it, it's a significant change, though, isn't it, Francis? Because yeah. we, we we haven't really seen Beijing do this before. You, mm -hmm. you know, basically pay for these projects from the centre. They normally rely on local governments to do it. But as Shark was saying, they can't really afford it anymore, these local governments, can yeah, they? Yeah, be, be, because of the uh, three-year lockdown, and the local government spent all their money 
on the stability and, and lockdown and and all that they don't have any money left uh, according to some reports some local governments can cannot even pay the uh, uh, salaries of civil servants mm. so i think uh, may, maybe a, a more direct uh, help to the local government will be will be better spent rather than building another high speed railway mm-hmm. I, I think it's really wasteful now because china has i think more than 25000 uh, kilometers of high speed railway and you don't need that many now mm-hmm. It is, though, an acknowledgement at last by Beijing that the traditional model of funding infrastructure is broken, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it needs something new. So I yeah. suppose in that sense, by Beijing saying we're going to fund this ourselves, it, mm-hmm. it, it signals quite a big change. Yeah, I think this uh, must be short-term one. I, I think that as they quite aware of this uh, uh, risk to their financial se- se- sector, and they know that the old growth model already outdated. They need to find a new one. They cannot rely on this <laughs> yeah. infrastructure investment, rely on this uh, strong external demand to, mm-hmm. to boost their economies. They must uh, uh, make sure they can uh, rebalance their economy, make sure the Chinese consumers, they can consume more. But yeah. the problem is that at this moment, mm-hmm. they they don't want to pay the money directly to the household sector yeah. to boost their uh, consumption uh, and in future and they de- count on this uh, Chinese household to become the main driver of yeah. uh, growth. I, I think uh, this one, they must find a way. I yeah. Yeah. So this is not necessarily going to help boost the economy. It'll be interesting you know. to see what happens to the, the debt-to-GDP ratio, because if this is going into productive um, parts of the economy, then although the debt's going up, GDP will go up as well, and that yeah. ratio uh-huh. uh, won't move. But it, it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens. Yeah, I think uh, spending voucher is better way to spend one trillion uh, yuan. <laughs> what, what's the picture looking like for consumption at the moment, um, Shark? After we've had the uh, the Golden Week holiday, now we did get some figures, didn't we? Which shows that it has picked up, but still, compared to pre-COVID levels, it's pretty lackluster, isn't it? Yes, exactly. I think uh, if you compare to the levels uh, uh, before the uh, pandemic, I think uh, that the it's okay because uh, most of the figures are higher than uh, the figures uh, in 2019. Uh, but still, people have the feeling that uh, now the consumers have become very cautious. Consumers mm. become very cautious. And I especially uh, talked to my friend there. They told me that uh, although uh, now there's a lot of people traveling, but uh, they spend less. Mm. Francis, what what are your thoughts? I mean, the domestic (laughs) tourism revenue was up just 1.5% from 2019 before (laughs) COVID. So not a huge, I mean, it's an improvement, I suppose, but it's not huge, is it? Yeah, when when your stock market and property market is not rising, then the people uh, don't want to spend because you don't have the feel good feeling, yeah. Uh, because your personal wealth uh, 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 don't increase, so you feel you have less money to spend. So 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 you uh, tend to save more, but actually. Chinese save too much money already. So Chinese people are saving something like 30% of their income. Mm. And they're, they're putting money in the banks and, and, <laughs> and not using it to really create economic growth. That is, not, uh, that is something that the government want them to do, you know, travel more and buy more. 
Okay. Well, look, let's switch our attention to the US because we've had some important data out overnight. The Consumer Price Index and US inflation was higher than forecast in September, which raises the prospects that the Fed may have to raise interest rates further. The US Consumer Price Index rose 0.4% in September. That was down from 0.6% the previous month, thanks in part to lower pressure from energy prices. But it was higher than economists' forecasts for a 0.3% increase. And it also rose 3.6%. 7% year-on-year core CPI, which strips out all those volatile food and energy prices. That was in line with expectations, up 0.3% month-on-month, up 4.1% on a on a 12-month basis. But the report did show stronger-than-expected inflation in some more core areas, particularly housing costs, which rose 0.6% month-on-month. Sharks, signs of sticky inflation there, aren't there? Yes, exactly. I think I argued this one several times before. So it's easier to lower the inflation from the level of the 8%, 7% to this 4%, 5%. But if you want to lower the uh, the, the the inflation from this four uh, percent to two percent, then <laughs> it will take a longer time. You need to make a, a lot of additional efforts to do it. So now it shows the stickiness of these uh, inflation things. Uh, basically, uh, I, I think uh, now we didn't uh, we, we only focus on this uh, co-inflation. But the fact is, uh, after outbreak of this uh, Israel-Palestinian war, we we expect mm. this uh, energy. Uh, price is going to go up, isn't it? Go up, right? So yeah. if you look at the overall inflation, I'm afraid that in the coming month they will become higher. So, Francis, we've got from 9% to 4%, basically, yeah. on, on the inflation rate mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in the US. If we're going to get down to the other 2%, which is the target, can that be done without <laughs> a recession? Uh, very, very, very difficult uh, because uh, one, one of the most difficult uh, uh, items to tackle is rent mm. uh, because, because a 30-year mortgage rate now is uh, 7.5%. I think it's something like a 30-year high, meaning that there will be fewer new housing coming into the market because uh, fewer people can afford to pay off the, pay the mortgages mm. then uh, then the end result is that there is less supply in housing and the rent cannot come down and the rent do, uh, and the rent does not come down then the, then inflation uh, won't come down because one of the uh, uh, core uh, component is rent, right? And uh, food and energy can come down, but rent cannot come down. <laughs> that is a big problem. So then you would think at first sight, you know, if there's mm. only a couple of things there that are causing inflation mm. to be sticky, focus on them and get them down. But what mm. you're saying is actually in practice, it's going to be harder than it looks to do that, particularly yeah. in areas of shelter and rent, as you say. Yeah, definitely. And, and then you have. Uh, I don't know, half a million of illegal immigrants coming in, they, they also put the pressure in the, in the housing market. And uh, New York said that they cannot afford to, uh, to house 100,000 immigrants. <laughs> mm. They just don't have the money and the space to, to, to house them.
So what happens then if if the if you know if inflation sort of bottoms out at, at this level, um, and there are some signs of that happening, aren't there? Because we saw it also mm-hmm. on the per, uh, producer price index data that came out the day before. That also uh, was rising as well. If we've now reached sort of like if you like the the nadir, how how much we can get um, inflation down? What what does the Fed do? Does it have to jack up rates even further, or does it change the inflation target? What does it do? I don't think they need to change uh, the inflation target because that will cause the uh, cause more disruptions, cause more confusions in the market, and people don't know how to anchor their inflation expectation. Then I think that that could only make things worse, especially at this moment. Okay, if you have eight percent inflation, maybe you said, okay, now we change to two percent to three percent. You shouldn't change quite a lot because mm. it's still far away from your target. But now they're close to your target. Uh, I don't think it's a good idea to change uh, this inflation target at this moment. Uh, I have to say that. Uh, uh, what they can do is quite limited. They only have this interest rate Just raise rates. Yeah, That's all they, they can, can do, isn't it? Right? Or they can just uh, keep this uh, market communications to make market fear for these kind of things. And mm-hmm. then the mar- you will see the market interest rate will go up. Right. So mm-hmm. as now, because we already see very high uh, level of this uh, 10 year and the 30 year uh, the, the, uh, the bond yield. OK, mm-hmm. that's a market interest. Mm-hmm. You can see, although they haven't raised their policy rate, but the market rate already uh, stay at a higher level. Um, so that's why I, I think that if you look at the U.S. economy, this uh, economic machine is too big, is too complex, too sophisticated. But uh, the only one <laughs> that maintain this one is the uh, Fed, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the other side, if you look at the Congress, they have this uh, political argument uh, always there. Oh. Okay, They want to have the shutdown of the government. <laughs> and then the outside uh, the, the US, you have uh, these uh, different uh, disruptions. Uh, but the only one is the Fed. They want to yeah. make sure, control yeah. inflation, yeah. make sure this economy yeah, they are uh, the only well. same people in, in America. <laughs> I think the Republicans in particular, they they, they they are in the animal house or something like that. It sounds like they're struggling to elect a speaker again, which means <laughs> yeah. that there's not going to be any fiscal policy, is there? Because no. no budget can be passed, no spending yeah, exactly. bills can be passed, so it's going to be all down to the Fed. Yeah, then the government will shut down in 40 days. And, oh, wow, chaos again, I think. Uh, uh, the U.S. government is hopeless now. <laughs> so if inflation gets stuck at around here at 3.7% then, Francis, what does the Fed do? Does it raise rates? Are, are I, there more I don't the think they will raise rates. They will just keep the rate high as, as now, uh, five and five and a half percent And uh, with the mortgage rate at 7.5%, that will uh, slow down the economy quite a lot. And, and But it will take some time. Before the, before the uh, slowdown in housing uh, market bites and then cause uh, lower rents and then uh, maybe <laughs> a recession. They did do something strange, though. Well, I thought yeah. it was strange anyway. In the minutes, they basically said that the um, because bond yields have been rising, that in effect is doing the tightening for them. And therefore, it's sort of the equivalent of an interest rate rise. And as soon as they say that, of course, what happens is bond yields then start rising again, uh, start falling. <laughs> so they start falling. So it sort of undoes the tightening message that they've done. It's a bit of an odd thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a very interesting. I think... Uh, uh, Come back to the 
the, the, the judgment of uh, Francis. Uh, <laughs> I think if you look at uh, this inflation outturn, if, uh -huh. if this uh, 4% one continue for a couple of months, I think it's okay because the market interests are already high. Maybe, the, <laughs> as I said, the, the fact that they can just uh, continue to do this uh, market communications to make people fear f about uh, this uh, new uh, inflation pressure so they can manage that they don't need to hike interest rate anymore for mm. next couple of months but think about this if this four uh, percent continue into the next year what they are going to do mm -hmm. i'm afraid by that time they have to hike interest they have to go up again right mm -hmm. yeah. because if yeah. you look at these inflation figures it continue for for several months and, and yeah so they have no other choice so look what this is doing to the bond markets though the treasury markets i mean last uh, uh, up until last week the bond yields had soared to 16 year highs then we had 3 days where they basically collapsed didn't they gave up all their all the all the spike that they've mm. done uh, so far this month but then today now we've got the latest data they're back up again you know yeah. between 10 to 16 basis points i mean it's, it seems to be almost total confusion at the moment isn't it in the bond markets as to how to react to almost every piece of data, whether it's jobs <laughs> data, CPI, PPI data, the minutes. Yeah, they just don't know uh, what to expect because uh, 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 there are more people betting that the Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rate again uh, in that de uh, December meeting. And that will send shockwave to the uh, stock market again. I mean, it's, uh, it, there must be some huge losses, mustn't there, mm -hmm. in the bond markets? Because a lot of people buy um, treasury bond ETFs, the TLT, for example, which mm -hmm. is the iShares TLT is, I think, the biggest one. Huge positions, huge amounts of money going into that. People sitting on enormous losses here, including uh, the banks. <laughs> exactly. Yes, I, I talked to bank traders. Uh, bank traders, they... Uh, I think they are confused and they are angry <laughs> about yeah. all these things. They're angry because not just making one, money. Remember, just one month ago, people talk about okay, this kind of the interest rate hike already reached the peak. They are going to lower interest rate. Uh, everything looks okay, mm -hmm. good. And recently, I, I'm afraid that this kind of uh, uh, Middle East problem even benefited bond market because uh, this uh, tr U.S. Treasury bond is a uh, safe asset mm. because uh, these are uh, mm. world disruptions and then some yeah. money flow back into mm. the bond market. That's why we see this uh, yield, they, they, uh, they become a little bit lower recently. Mm. But still, mm. overall, you, if you see the recent uh, uh, signals, recent data, uh, I think that will create a lot of the noise, uh, create a lot of confusions in the bond market. If you'd been invested over the last three years in US Treasuries, you would have lost almost 50% of your money <laughs> by now. Yeah. Uh, that's the biggest yeah. bear market in history in the, in the US. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. The IMF says it's worried about um, financial stability because of this. Do, do you think it is something we should be concerned about? I mean, we saw it in the summer, didn't we, with Silicon Valley Bank and a couple of other regional banks who got mm -hmm. into problems largely because of the mark-to-market the -market losses on their Treasury portfolio. Exactly. I think that this financial stability issue is very big under this high interest rate environment. And as IMF, they recently point out, one vulnerability is this leverage long market, because this means the people without very high credit rating, they borrow from the financial uh, institution. Another one is a commercial, commercial or residential property market. Yeah. It's not only for China, China problem, <laughs> it's a global problem. It's a global yeah. problem now because yeah. the US interest rates. So.
Yeah, that could be another uh, disaster waiting to happen, couldn't it? That we yeah. haven't seen uh, that we haven't seen yet. Yeah. Well, look, thank you. Fascinating yeah. discussion this morning. Really appreciate that. It's good to see you both. Have a great uh, weekend. You yeah. heard there Le Shah, who is Asia Chief Economist from BBVA, and Francis Lun, who is the CEO of Geo Securities. <laughs> I'm joined now by Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Staten Partners down in Sydney, Australia. Morning, Toby. Good morning, Peter. Um, Let's start with the US inflation data that was out um, last night. Another important piece of data uh, in terms of deciding what the Fed might do next, the consumer price index, it rose 0.4% in September, down from 0.6%, but it was higher than what economists were expecting on a monthly basis, 0.3%, up 3.7% year over year. That was the same as the previous month. But core inflation, uh, that rose 4.1% on a 12-month basis. And also signs in there of areas such as housing uh, uh, remaining very sticky, rose 0.6% month on month. What do you make of this data, Toby? Yeah, I think I think it, the surprising thing is obviously that it, it's up a little bit on the on the headline number from a uh, from a monthly basis, but I think, uh, as you mentioned, the the fact that the core inflation is still above four percent, when you're targeting two to three percent over the medium term in terms of inflation, what we've seen now is pretty much um, the end of the base effect coming out, and now we're seeing inflation stick around that level, and the core above four percent suggests that the Fed um, may need to do another kick with interest rates, and I think we saw in the futures market. Um, it, over this month's move from a 12% chance of a rate hike in November to 36% chance. And that's a combination of of, uh, of the recent inflation data, both on the producer prices and on the consumer prices, which were both above expectations. So I suspect now we're reaching this point, and this is not inconsistent across the globe, because the ECB also said it was a close call on hiking rates that we might be one more before the end of the year out of the US. Mm. What what does the Fed do? If uh, we, they've done the hard part, haven't they? Inflation reached a peak of just above nine percent. They've got it down now to about four percent. But this next couple of percents, trying to get it down to their target of two percent, is going to be tough, isn't it? Do you think it can be done without a recession? Well, that's a really good question. Um, I still think we've yet to see the lag uh, impact of all of the rate uh, hikes that we've had to date. And I think this is the challenge for the Fed and for markets in general is how how much of an impact is yet to flow through to consumers in terms of behaviour, in terms of activity, and in terms of businesses, in terms of aggregate demand and how much they produce. And this, I think, has still got some playing out over the next few months. So um, are we going to have a recession? It doesn't feel that way. It feels like the economy is pretty strong. Labor markets are still pretty tight and GDP is still positive Mm. um, against that – inflation stickier so if they do have to go again and it's quite possible given the fact that they do not want to entrench um core inflation above uh, target over the medium term then that might be the one that you know that drives the change in behavior maybe at the consumer level because it feels like everyone sort of you know almost moved beyond where you know the idea that inflation is going to continue to persist and that you know the economy is going to be okay and we're going to have a soft landing and maybe there's a bit of a shock to come. Mm. The problem for the Fed, it's got a couple of problems at the moment, hasn't it? The first thing is the economy is really totally relying on monetary policy because Congress is completely bunged up. It can't pass any any spending bills and any funding measures at the, at the moment. 
But also um, that the things that are causing this stickiness in inflation, things like housing, rent, they're difficult to do something about, aren't they? It's not so easy to bring them down. No, you know, the easy part of, not to say that anything's easy, but the easy part was really the, you know, the supply chain or the cost push inflation that had been in the economy post-pandemic. That all came out, which maybe gave a false sense of, you know, security that, uh, you know, the the targeting using monetary policy was going to be sufficient to get inflation back to target. But I agree, the closer you get to target, the slower it gets and it gets stickier. And that's already been affirmed by central banks and they're concerned about that. And secondly, as you quite rightly point out, the fiscal side of the equation is not being dealt with. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is only going to get worse if uh, we have um, GDP declining, which means overall debt levels go up, overall deficit levels go up. And the funding of that has actually a higher impact on inflation, uh, on interest rates rather than a, a softening. So, yeah, it's a tricky period coming forward. And as I mentioned in that previous answer, I don't know if we've quite had the full impact of the rate hikes mm. through the economy. And it looks like, if anything, maybe the economy is sort of re-accelerating. I mean, we saw those jobless claims as well overnight. They're sort of close to a seven-month low. It, it's hard to see a recession when you've got such a strong jobs market. Well, what will be interesting over the next week, a couple of weeks, will be the earnings results for uh, corporates. So we'll get the the figures coming out in the third quarter. Um, I think JP Morgan tonight, BlackRock, United Health Group. So we'll start to see the big numbers come out. And what will be most interesting will be um, earnings for the quarter, but also forward estimates to see if there's any any reflection of an expectation of declining sales and declining demand in the economy. So we'll be watching uh, earnings results quite closely next week that's for sure now that the fed they also seem to be coalescing around a new message which i find a little bit odd they're basically saying that because yields have been rising in the bond markets which they had been um, until the end of last week they were up at 16 year highs that in effect is doing the tightening for them um, and because financial conditions are getting tighter it's sort of the equivalent of, um, of a rate rise so they don't need to um, go and raise rates um, any further but of course the problem is as soon as they said that um, you Yields, the, yields then came off, so they sort of undid their own tightening there. But it's a slightly odd message, isn't it, for them to want to give? Well, I think the, the moves in yields this week probably are more driven by flight to quality and demand driven by fear um, out of the Israel-Hamas issue. So there was a definitely a jump in, in, in demand for bonds, and hence the yields came off. And then, as you saw overnight, I think that the tenure went back up 15 basis points to 4.7, which is only about 10 or so points off the off the 16-year highs mm. in yields. So um, to that extent, I think we've just got to be mindful of what drove bond markets this week. Um, but you're right. Uh, uh, yeah, to some extent, it is a, you know, a, a effective tightening. And, of course, the other aspect of, of the central bank's actions is the declining bond purchases. And um, the QE or the QT that's now happening. So there is some credence to that argument. Having said that, um, the ten-year yields at sixteen-year highs, so it doesn't suggest that you know that um, things are going to get any easier for the short term. There, there's some huge losses, aren't there, uh, sitting around in the in the financial system as a result of what's happening to the bond markets. If, if you've been invested in treasury bonds the last three years, you would have lost almost 50% of your money. Um, there must be, and I think the IMF said it was concerned about it, some very big losses in the banking system in the, and in the wider financial system. Yeah, but there's also a lot of cash sitting in mutual funds. I think uh, in the US, there's 
there's still quite a lot of cash. I think as opposed to the GFC, you know, uh, I don't think we're in the same credit dislocation potential. Yes, I agree with you. There'll be, you know, some significant um, mark-to-market revaluations, portfolios, um, and, you know, you can look at sectors like commercial real estate and things like that, which are probably need to be repriced, and there's some pain to be done. And whereas high levels of leverage exist, you know, that's, uh, you know, they're the first ones that tend to, to, to hit the skids. But there is still a lot of cash on the sidelines. I think, I'm, I, I don't want to quote wrong numbers, but up to $5 trillion in cash sitting in mutual fund money in the US mm-hmm. that's yet to be moved. So I'm suspecting that it, it's not as bad as all that, even with some of the, the, you know, the higher level losses that we're going to see. Should, should we be worried, though? I mean, we saw what happened in the summer, didn't we, with Silicon Valley Bank and some of these other regional banks that got themselves um, into trouble. The IMF was talking about doing it when it did its risk uh, stress testing. Uh, there was something like a couple of, I think it was about 150 institutions, they said, globally, that would run into trouble. Yeah, I think you know, a lot of lessons were learned, GFC, in terms of prudential regulation, Um it's not to say that it's it's not an issue, um, but you know I, I got asked this morning about whether we're seeing a, you know an equivalence to the GFC emerging and likely to emerge. I don't think that's the case. Mm. Having said that, there are you know there are definitely going to be some uh, headline liquidity issues as stress comes into the into the corporate sector and into the into the credit markets. But it's not the same picture right now, and I you know the economy is still growing. Um, uh, there will be some hits and misses, as there always is in in a transitioning economy. Um, but at this stage, I don't see it as being you know necessarily a contagion type of event on the horizon. What do you do as an investor if you're if you're a cautious investor and you go with this typical sixty forty portfolio, sixty percent stocks, forty percent bonds? It hasn't really worked out very well for you, has it this year or even last year um, either? I mean, a typical balanced portfolio last year lost about seventeen percent, down again this year as well. What what on earth do you do? Well, I think it, there seems to, if we're looking at turnover in the in the equity markets, yeah, there's a there's a bit of a freeze. Um, uh, in terms of activity and yeah, whether it's in IPOs or whether it's in trading volumes or what have you. And I think it reflects that people don't know what to do, Peter. And I think it's not an unreasonable <laughs> Not um, surprising, comment. is it? Not surprising because it is, it's a, incredibly difficult to, to determine what to do. Um, as you say, you know, a long-term investor, you know, continues to, to stay invested in the market. There's no bailing out into cash that would make a lot of sense. Um, you know, in terms of uh, the weightings within an, an, an equity portfolio, then there might be a pivot to to some more defensive um, assets, uh, a focus more on value versus growth. Those sort of things can can certainly strengthen a portfolio in this type of environment. And then, of course, on the you know, on the fixed income side, I think the mistake on fixed income was trying to play duration in the mm. last twelve months. And that's what's cost people a lot of money. Mm. I think in, in fixed income portfolios is, is trying to pick the top uh, in the rate cycle, uh, which I think was is fraught. So I think, you know, again, that's probably to avoid getting into a duration play and just necessarily being a little bit more short term um, in terms of the of where you put your money on the fixed income curve. And, you know, then look for value. I, I, I suspect that's probably sounds easy to say. But um, stock selection and, and looking at stocks that actually have good value and are performing companies, good balance sheets is, is how, you, you know, how you should invest.
Mm, people have tried several times this year, haven't they, to catch that falling knife of trying to work out uh, when rates have peaked, only to get it horribly wrong, and then they're having to go and uh, try and cover those losses elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, as I said, durations, it's its tricky. You know, you might have the right idea, but if you get the timing wrong, mm. um, it can be very costly in the bond market. And that's, you know, um, private credit's another area, which I think is, you know, picking up. Um, you know, people, uh, again, you've got to be mindful of, of picking quality, um, uh, good credits and managing that risk. But there's money. Yeah, there's opportunities. I think the most important thing as investors is that you yeah, do your homework. Uh, it's it's probably been a pretty easy market to run for for a decade almost. You know, you can run passive. Um, uh, everything seems to be going quite well. Um, you don't have to think too much. At least that's the you know the idea of passive investing. Uh, I think in a transitioning economy where you're where where the main uh, parameters are, sh- uh, are sort of going through a major transition, that's where you have to be a little bit smarter and really do your homework on stock selection uh, as an investor and also on the fixed income portfolio. The trade that seems to be going on at the moment, which BlackRock highlighted with their data on, on the ETF side, because they've seen big selling um, in investment-grade corporate bonds, and that seems to be going into US um, blue-chip uh, stocks. So it seems that investors are selling uh, the credit, selling the bonds of top-rated companies and buying their stocks. Yeah, I, I guess that's a, uh, it's a valuation issue and wanting to, to, to buy the, the equity instead of the debt. Mm. Um, I haven't really looked at that, but um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, these are interesting times, aren't they? Because you you can see where the correlations are. I mean, the the bond markets, the yields are moving in reaction to almost every piece of inflation data, jobs data, and then in turn, stocks are reacting to the moves in yields. But trying to predict this data is is just all over the place at the moment. So it makes it almost impossible uh, to really predict what's going to happen next. Yeah, and, I, and and as I say, that's reflected in the activity in the in the listed markets. Um, there's a lot of people sitting on the sidelines mm. that they don't know what to do, uh, and I think that's not unreasonable. Uh, there's a lot of cash sitting there. I think, as I say, once you get some clarity around where the forward view on interest rates is, how how long and how high, um, people get a little more confident, and uh, I think there's money to deploy. But how they deploy that. Um, in, in an economy that's probably going to struggle to get a lot of growth in the next 12 to 18 months um, will be interesting. So, yeah, good one to yeah, stick with the professionals. Um, be conservative. Um, don't, try to, don't try to pick bottoms and tops, as they say. Um, <laughs> we know what happens then. Yeah. Well, great to talk to you, Toby. Thank you very much indeed for that. That's Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Staten Partners down in Sydney, Australia. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. And thank you for listening to Money Talk this morning. You can find more details about some of the topics I've been talking about today, along with information on other headlines and market moves in my daily newsletter. Take a look at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll have more business and finance updates for you on Monday. Joining me then are Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and Simon Cavender, partner at BDA Partners, and providing a view from mainland China, will be Brock Silvers, the CIO at Kion Capital. Have a great weekend. Money Talk. 